Hello everyone and welcome to Designing the Future. I'm Jim Anderton. I'll be your host for an interesting conversation about AI, the IIoT, and much, much more. Now joining me is Remy Duquette. He's Vice President, Innovation and Industrial AI with Baya HTT Limited. Remy is head of the Industrial AI, IAOT, and Data Center Clarity LC Global Business and Research and Development with Maya HTT. Remy attended the International Space University after competing his master's thesis on most Canada's first space telescope at the University of Toronto Institute for Aerospace Studies. Now, this followed his honors engineering degree at McGill University in Montreal. He's also been instrumental in designing and analyzing structural components of five successful spacecraft currently orbiting the planet. And in his youth, Remy was a short track speed skating champion in the province of Quebec. The sponsor of today's program, Maya HTT, is a leading software developer and engineering services provider of multi-physics simulation, computer-aided engineering, CAD-CAM, and PLM. Maya HTT is a tech partner, software editor, and provider of Siemens solutions, and applies expertise in applied artificial intelligence, IAOT, platform solutions, and low-tech, no-code apps across multiple industries. Remy, welcome to the program. Thank you, Jim, for having me on the show. Uh, Remy, uh, you're a champion short track speed skater. For those who've not seen this sport, uh, it reminds me of roller derby, except on the ice. So it's it's <laughs> a very rough and tumble elbows out kind of world down there. And there are those who say that the aerospace industry operates just like that, an elbows out rough and tumble kind of, kind of world down there. Um, it's, it used to be an industry where it took a decade to get a product from off the drawing board and, and into the air at that point. Is that still true today? We've got a lot of software, a lot of technologies now at this point. Can you spend 10 years or half your career, you know, trying to get an airplane off the paper and into the air? I mean, uh, unfortunately, uh, you know, as, as speed skating, uh, uh, you know, speed is, is always increasing in technologies, whether it's a blade or a car or a spacecraft. Uh, technologies are, are enabling us to to go faster and faster. And so, you know, in engineering, it's it's exactly the same as, as back way back when uh, uh, it, with blades that were, you know, uh, increasing performance. Well, today, in today's uh, world, we certainly have uh, software tools that uh, were, you know, unheard of uh, five years ago. So when you talk about 10 years, uh, I can talk to you about the last six months even, and it's been increasingly uh, different for engineering as, as we, we get uh, new toolkits, uh, new toolboxes, uh, to 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 deploy and and help us design um, in new ways and yeah so it's it's going to accelerate even more moving forward. Uh, Remy, it's historically uh, major industries like automotive, consumer goods, mass production industries, and aerospace have operated in silos, very different, uh, mainly driven by by production volumes, of course. So the production technologies are are, are different, uh, but the design tools originally started from the aerospace industry and worked the other way toward automotive consumer goods. You think of the, you know, the major original uh, uh, CAD platforms. Are we looking at a world, do you think, where are these industries coming closer together or are we still going to see a big gap between the engineer that wants to make a million things and the engineer that wants to make one spacecraft? Hmm. Well, it's a very interesting question. I mean, from a, um, uh, an engineering standpoint, I think those worlds are have been uh, getting closer together over the last couple of years. And, and, and the reason is, yeah, the, the technologies that are enabling them um, are, let's say, evolving to a point where both can leverage these tools in different ways. So, of course, the aerospace engineer has a slightly different time frame than an automotive engineer or a manufacturing engineer. Uh, but in the end, the, the toolkit that are made available to them will are accelerating each of them uh, in different ways. 
so if we look at you know an aerospace engineer looking at uh, designing the spacecraft, well, the, the spacecraft and the missions are be becoming uh, on their shorter and shorter time frame. And you look at you know launching uh, rockets and having them like come back on on the planet and and be re reutilized. I mean that kind of technologies is accelerating the pace of of space exploration and and access to space. So of course then it goes along with shortening the um, uh, timeline for those space missions in, in the future. So those engineers now will be on a tighter deadline, but their margins of safety are still very, very narrow, right? An aerospace engineer is working with very, very tight margins. The pe most people might not know this, but the, the margins of safety there are, are very, very small because every ounce of, 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 of anything that you, you move as mass uh, into space is costing you a lot of fuel and a lot of energy. So, you, you know, people may not uh, um, understand the, the, the dynamic there, but it's, it's pretty pretty constraining for the engineers. Whereas, you know, in, in the automotive, it's been a little bit of the, the, the reverse factor where, um, you know, automotive industry has embedded more and more in electronics and AI. We'll talk about it a little bit later, perhaps, uh, uh, hopefully. But in, in the, uh, when you look at uh, automotive industry, it's been transformed by other ways and accelerated in other ways by new technologies uh, enabling cars to do different things and become um, a service and, and, you know, kind of a car as a service, if, if I can uh, call it this way, where you have so many embedded technologies. Uh, I mean, self-driving cars is one aspect, electric cars is another. And, and when you, you look at future technologies enabling more and more there, it's, it's going gonna, it's gonna, to yeah, change a little bit the, the way that the, the design and timelines are, are affecting these. Uh, but because of those two things, uh, in both ways, they're shortening the timeline and the technologies, yes, are getting them to be a bit closer in terms of two worlds and not separately, you know, uh, aerospace engineers looking at, you know, bleeding edge, bleeding edge technologies that are finding its way eventually into a, uh, a mass production cycle that is very short term. So, yeah, so that those days are gone. It's, it's really a, a much more fluid uh, uh, interactions and, and, and worlds between uh, uh, you know, engineering for automotive or aerospace. Of course, the specialties are very different, but in the end, the, the timelines are becoming a lot closer than they ever were. Uh, Remy, the aerospace industry uh, were the first to use simulation as a development tool. But in the, the original way they did this, of course, was using physical uh, artifacts, simulators. So you would, you would sort of model your flight control laws or your, or your participated flight control characteristics into the machine. You know, the test pilot would climb in, climb out and say, I'm sorry, the stall spin characteristics are terrible. And you go back to the drawing board and then iterate again, you know. But that, that form of simulation had a, a very expensive physical component in the sense of, you know, electromechanical device that you're trying to study its, its behavior. Simulation today is virtual. And uh, the implication is, is that we needn't spend millions of dollars to do it the way Boeing or, or General Dynamics does it at this point. Maybe we can reach down and the, the person making toasters can simulate the way the toast pops. Is, is this where this is going? Are we going to see simulation in every manufactured product? Well, certainly, uh, um, maybe not in every single product, but certainly in a lot more products than, than we've seen before. And yes, the uh, um, historically, uh, simulation has been underutilized in, in many areas, especially in conceptual designs and, and other areas. Um, and, and as, 
as as it was the case also in the aerospace industry, as you say, we, we used a lot of prototyping that were very expensive. And we because it was so expensive, we had to switch to a better way of doing things. And that's where simulation came in and helped in terms of virtual prototyping and, and reducing that cost. And, and so that enabled uh, then, you know, optimization loop to be uh, to automate the software and the simulation. And now we'll see the next generation really, you know, generative design and, and other new technologies that are coming about. Um, you know, at, at every turn, there's new tools and technologies in the arsenal of, of every engineer's uh, growing toolbox. And so I, I, I can see that, you know, it's not only... Um, you know, using those technologies and simulation earlier in every product, that is definitely a big trend and it's going to continue. I, I can't see that <laughs> stopping. But it's also uh, new ways for engineers, new tools to, to go beyond this, beyond optimization and beyond just the uh, using virtual simulation. And we'll talk uh, hopefully a little bit about, you know, how AI and generative design perhaps as, as, as a way to enable and augment the engineer's creativity um, uh, to pursue different, you know, different avenues that were probably explored a little bit less than in the past. Remy, historically in aerospace and automotive as well, um, a big part of the design or development process would be to instrument a test article. So the number of data points you had available to you are limited by the number of strain gauges and thermocouples you could stuff into the airframe or, or into the chassis. And then either you had an onboard recording device or telemetry and, and that data set hopefully agreed with predictions from, from the design engineering team. If it didn't, you went back to the drawing board. But AI promises a world in which you can be certain of the performance parameters. And if you do that kind of instrumented testing, it may only be to verify what you already know. Is this the future? Are we looking at AI as a way to be so certain that we are correct, that we can reduce or eliminate that, that kind of, of actual real world testing? Well, so in the end, um, you're hitting on, on, on very uh, uh, sensitive topics uh, because the there, there, there will always be, in my opinion, a, a need to, to validate. Um, and, and it's true that AI promises to shorten and, and augment the capabilities of, of testing or real-time telemetry coming down from thousands and hundreds of thousands of devices instead of just having a one test specimen or a few test specimens that we can instrument and get feedback from from an engineering perspective. So I think AI promises once we do harness more data from existing designs, then yes, I think we will have new powers and new ways through Industry 4.0 and IoT and IoT in general. Um, you know, the advent of those new technologies will provide more data to engineers. Now, of course, we can talk about uh, cleaning of data. I mean, in every engineering project and manufacturing and, and Industry 4.0 projects we've been uh, into, there was you know a 50, 60 percent um, data cleaning time <laughs> that was required before you could actually leverage and, and harness that data in, in a proper way from an engineering standpoint to improve your, your designs and, and throw it in an optimization loop and augment uh, your capabilities. So, so I think right now we're in this transition mode of you know, getting access to data. It's not yet clean data. It's not validated data that we can safely use. So there is always that element of, of safety as well. And some designs that, that 
safety requirement or regulation requirement is a little bit less. So in those cases, you can probably do a little bit um, uh, more of usage of, of that data. And from a statistical basis, it's probably fine, even if there is some level of data errors. But in many cases, you have to be um, uh, let's say, uh, uh, careful as an engineer of how you're going to harness that data and make sure that the data you get is not biased. I mean, we've heard all these chatbots failures <laughs> in the past. I mean, we can't do that from an engineering standpoint. I mean, putting out a product that will fail is just not acceptable. And so from an engineering standpoint, there are some checks and balance, balances and, and validation that needs to happen in, in that process. But I believe, yes, it will bring about AI and, and IoT and collecting and harnessing that, that data from, you know, just not just those few test specimens, but really a, a wide range of of product data that are out there, uh, whether it's in your shoe or your toothbrush or your coffee cup today, um, you know, the sensors are spreading everywhere and that will enable very, very fantastic uh, feedback to the engineers and, and the way that they, they go about their work. Remy, you mentioned uh, the cleanliness of data, clean data. That I, I think not enough is is discussed about this issue. Uh, in the traditional, you know, analog data reduction world, you you know, you had a bunch of inputs basically, and if you saw a sudden spike in in the expected waveform, you often assume, well, that's a transient or it's an artifact of the uh, you know of the instrumentation, and you either you either analyzed it deeper or you ignored it and moved on. So it was a, it was an intuitive process at this point. But now with the IAOT, you can instrument everything at an unprecedented level. So instead of you know. 200 channels of data, you could have 20,000. So it's, what are the implications for determining whether or not you have clean data? I mean, can you be, can you be overwhelmed by information and, and have difficulty with this? Well, so there, there are really two approaches. And um, in terms of clean data, we have to kind of set back and in the context of having you know millions of devices and a, a frequency of data collection that is, is, is huge, the, the data cleanliness issues are not as big. I mean, they're big in a sense of there can be bias in the data and it will be very difficult for you to find out until it's too late. So, you know, uh, and the chatbot issues, just as an example, right, of, of how, you know, they collect millions and millions of voices and, and different things, and then they turn into a lexicon of, of, of you know, uh, words and, and strings of sentences that you can use in different contexts. And, and you know, it can go uh, <laughs> arrive very quickly if, if the data that it was learned from is, is biased in the first place. And, and you only on, unfortunately figure this out a bit later. So in, in the context of real-time telemetry data that most engineers would you know, leverage for their designs or their new designs uh, for improvements or, or whatnot, it's, it's a little bit different in the sense of you, you, you have a little bit more control in the first place. Now, if you have, um, but on the flip side, you don't have millions of devices to that. You might have a few thousand, and if you're lucky, tens of thousands of, of devices. And in those cases, then you can start, you have to, you have a middle ground where you have to do a certain level of, of cleaning of the data. And when we say cleaning is, you know, the outlier type of events, you don't want to leverage those if you're going to use those in a, an optimization loop that automates some of the uh, generative design or adversarial, you know, neural networks that can, you know, uh, learn from these things. So you have to be a little bit careful. 
But um, so, so the cleanliness of data has as various facets too. Um, you know, in in in, in some countries, you're, you're going to just as a simple example, you know, temperature will be Celsius versus Fahrenheit. Well, the you know, an AI um, technology may or may not realize that you know the temperature profile is recorded in Celsius versus Fahrenheit, and you have these deltas <laughs> that are built into your data set. And on the million data points, if they come from multiple countries and you haven't really um, aligned the engineering units, for instance, a very simple data cleaning, right? I mean, this is part of the data cleaning. It's, you know, reconciling the engineering units um, and, and those very simple um, data cleaning steps and, and validation steps are what I'm talking about. And once you've done those and you've made it, you know, somewhat, re you remove all the, the, the major outliers, the things that are way out there, and you've actually normalized the, the, the engineering units, then uh, in today's world, you have access to a rich, you're really a goldmine of, of new information that you can turn into, you know, useful uh, data points for your engineering team and for your design and even some, uh, put some, automation layers that we didn't have access before through AI techniques, whether it's uh, deep, deep learning, uh, reinforcement learning, depending on the field and what you want to achieve, uh, these new capabilities and technologies uh, bring wonderful results and, and engineers are embracing uh, th those results, uh, uh, of course. So it's, it's yeah, so the, the data cleaning uh, is, is uh, very dependent on uh, the amount of, of devices and data points and frequencies and the distribution of it, like, uh, you know, countries versus, you know, engineering units and all this. So it, it, it's, it's a little bit more complicated than, than people think of, oh, it's, you know, it's simple. You just, you know, clean the data. We're <laughs> uh, through the 2020s. Um, it's, uh, we're seeing the confluence, I think, of several interesting technologies all at the same time. One is this uh, ability with the IOT to have embedded sensors in everything. I mean, you're from the aerospace industry, you know how that worked. The, uh, the test articles were heavily instrumented, they were usually overweight, and the flight articles actually, all that stuff was ripped out, basically. So you, 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 you tested one unit, you built to that design, and then crossed your fingers, everything is fine. Now we live in a world where it might be possible to have a heavily instrumented so-called so test article, which is the same as the production article, constantly feeding information then back to the design team. So the, the era where you design something, complete it, release it, and then move on to the next project, is that gonna be replaced by a new era where you iterate designs through the entire life of the product? Or are you gonna see a time when you spend your whole career designing and constantly redesigning the same aircraft, for example? Yeah, I think uh, we are getting close to that. Um, maybe not aircraft per se, because the, 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 the design timeline is, is still a bit longer, but certainly for many, many other um, uh, devices and products, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, pumps or uh, heavy duty machinery or uh, things that, you know, can evolve uh, fairly rapidly in terms of not having to be retested, uh, like an aircraft, you know, has also a, a, a test sequence and a uh, approvals from uh, from regulations that are, that are pretty uh, tight. But in, in other uh, markets and industry, absolutely the you know the fact that you are getting this this uh, telemetry hooked on to the product not just the test product but the actual product itself brings about two two things one 
most companies are starting to monetize that data, right? The data that you that is in production and use in operation um, can bring other benefits to the company. So if you think of uh, heavy machinery, you know, the, the, the preventive maintenance programs and the after sales uh, uh, business models that can come along will also bring engineering change in terms of, yeah, the, the, the design and, and the simulation is not stopping after the first design cycle. You are constantly getting to, to that point where um, you get new data and you can improve it and you can improve it for two reasons, either for your own after sales services, which means you have a, you know, a data-driven new business model in your company. So as engineers, you're part of now the revenue generator uh, of the company, which is a, a new mode of thinking for engineers in many, in many instances in many markets. And, and so that's one way. And then the other way, yes, it's to improve a design for the end users purely. And, and yeah, those, those telemetry, uh, the, the additional telemetry that you can gather and harness clearly today. And, and we've seen many examples in, uh, especially in the, in the manufacturing domain right now, um, you know, even just before it hits uh, operations or usage by you know the general population in a manufacturing setting uh, where you have discrete manufacturing you're collecting a ton of data now uh, on the machines themselves that are manufacturing your goods and we've been able to harness that data and improve you know constantly on on the daily weekly monthly basis the manufacturing process to make it very efficient and you know learn from the manufacturing data and use that uh, i call this you know industrial ai which is really a focus of, of ours at my hdt and 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 really this is where we've we've seen a lot of early benefits for engineering and manufacturing companies remy we 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 keep talking about various aspects of ai in, in engineering in general now. We're using AI in the form of generative design, advanced simulation at the early in the design process now. So we're, we, the, the machine is helping us actually render the product in the first place. Then the machine is helping us virtually test it to see if it's going to work, see if things, things fit together. But at the back end, we're, we're analyzing vast amounts of sensor-driven data to, to determine performance after we've actually built the product at the same time. Vast quantities of data. Are we going to need AI to actually help us make sense of what we're looking at? Because when you flood an engineer with, 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 with tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of data points at that point, it must be very difficult to actually pick out something significant from that river, you know? Yes, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we are harnessing a lot of data. And, and if you just dump, uh, you know, do a data dump in front of an engineer, um, it's, it's going to be a disaster. And, and so, yes, there, there, there are uh, tools today, absolutely, that are being built around uh, even explainability of some results of AI, right? That's one thing as well. So not just explaining the data, but explaining the result of an AI algorithm that's using that data. So why it came to that conclusion or that design or that, you know, simulation results or the reinforcement learning, the control, you know, why did you increase the temperature? and lower the speed of the fan. So all of these things um, are coming to, um, I'd say, a head right now in terms of um, explainability is currently under research. It's a very much a, a research field at the moment, uh, but certainly uh, it, it, it is a, um, an enabler that, that is required to move uh, even faster in the future. But I, I, I've seen some 
uh, and we've used some early uh, tools to to yeah, to use uh, to explain the data and explain uh, what is happening on the result of an AI algorithm on on the outset. And and yeah, these these are fantastic new tools. And and yeah, clearly that that will be required for for any engineer to uh, to really comprehend what's what's happening from the data and be able to inter help the engineer interpret the data. The data itself and the AI you know, will, will do a great job, but you, you need the creativity and the understanding of, of the engineer to be able to actually leverage and take actions on this at, at this stage. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's not a, uh, uh, <laughs> um, just a, a magic wand, right? That, that the AI or the data will all of a sudden bring about new, new amazing design. No, that there are engineering constraints and very complex things that, that AI today is is not capable of, of enabling. Um, so I'm sure if we talk, you know, way long term in the future, uh, then maybe that that's possible. But today uh, and for the foreseeable future, uh, engineering's are being augmented by data, are being augmented by AI, um, and and that's what we're seeing as as a big trend. Uh, Remy, uh, many aspects of production engineering involving designing things that use suppliers who supply assemblies or components externally and you integrate those into your, your design. You know, not everything is custom. And uh, I, I've been in that world where in the automotive industry where frequently uh, purchasing changes a vendor. The vendor supplies a part which is perhaps electrically equivalent but functionally slightly different that requires a redesign of an assembly or a part and then, then there's revision control issues and then, then, then problems ripple through the, the, the entire process. And historically the, the PLM side of, of the business and the operations side of the business, even the, the supply chain side of the business, they didn't talk very much to the, the, the engineering side of the business as well and you had inevitably these sort of, of conflicts, these frictions that cost money. Is with AI in harness now, are we going to see, do you think, sort of a blending of those roles? Are we going to have like one universal AI software package that runs an entire engineering business? <laughs> I wish, <laughs> uh, but that's utopia today. I, th I think what we uh, what we are seeing though is is actually the um, um, uh, the silos being broken because the data and the AI has to encompass more and more data types and, and cross fields and cross and even within an engineering community you have mechanical electrical and and many other uh, manufacturing engineers and control engineers that typically have operated very much in silo and in sequence and now because of the uh, agility that is being required right we have to merge those those people uh, together so they can be agile and leverage the, the same data and understand the same data in different ways um, and that includes external suppliers it does include you know the uh, encompassing this if you look at industry 4.0 you know the made to order does include your internal manufacturing and but it also includes external components right so the, there is a, a very much a, a connectivity required here uh, that is 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 new for many people but is bringing people together and augmenting groups and breaking those silos um, so, yeah, I, I don't see a, an AI being all-encompassing and, and able and capable to understand all the complexity behind all these walls. Um, but, you know, on, on a task and optimization basis, absolutely, right? These are augmenting each of these different groups in different ways. 
Um, so for yeah, for 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 the foreseeable future, I think AI will will help breaking those silos and bring those people together and making them more efficient and be more agile in the way they do engineering and, and deploy their designs. Uh, but I, I don't see it as a you know one one big AI brain that comes in the shop and and says okay here's where you're wrong here's where you're right and you know <laughs> engineers out um, <laughs> that 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 is certainly not not going to happen in any uh, any short or medium time frame that, that I can think of. Remy, you mentioned the silos, and uh, the more complex the the engineering project, the more the need for specialization. And historically, that meant you know many many specialist engineers and designers who had had a particular area of expertise that had to collaborate. So uh, uh, the the pure design engineer might design perfection. And then, of course, then the manufacturing engineer says, well, we can't produce that cost effectively. So then the, the negotiation begins. Can you relax that tolerance? Can, can I open up that radius? You know, those, those, that, that sort of horse trading that goes on. Um, uh, with AI and advanced simulation and generative design doing a lot of that thinking up front, is that going to go the other direction? Are we looking at a future 50 years from now where um, there's no such thing as a manufacturing engineer, a pure design engineer, or even a civil engineer, mechanical engineer? Will it just be an engineer, a creative person? supported by machines? Well, certainly that is that is a big trend. I mean, I, I've had a lot of discussions and even key, keynote speaking uh, 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 presentations where I've talked about the, you know, um, general generalist engineers versus <laughs> specialist engineers. And uh, I, I would tend to, to think that, yes, by, by and large, um, you know, creativity and creative engineers uh, people that have, you know, innovation thinkers um, enabled by AI technologies like gener you know, generative designs or, or you know, all sorts of, of other uh, really fantastic new technologies, genetic algorithms and evolutionary type uh, uh, programming. So all of this is augmenting those engineers. But you're right, the, 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 the specialist engineers, and I have this cartoon in my head because uh, as, as an aerospace engineer, we had, you know, the structural people, the antenna, the power, the, and, and there's this uh, fancy cartoon that you show uh, kind of the uh, ultimate design that everyone would come up with <laughs> and and you know the, as a, um, a structural engineer you'd have like trusses everywhere and everything would be you know you know massive and very solid and couldn't you know move a, a micro uh, millimeter or anything but and then you have the uh, antennas you'd have like five different redundant antennas on different ways with different wavelengths to make sure you never lose them so, you know, depending on, on how you look at it, at this stage, um, because you can bring that specialization down to, you have margins and you have simulation tools that you can leverage. So it, it reduces a little bit the need for specialists. Now, I'm not saying that they're not gonna be needed at all. There are some areas where clearly a specialization is needed. Like, you know, if you look at a, a nuclear power plant, uh, you know, a nuclear engineer, uh, is a very specialized uh, engineering field that it will be required moving forward. There's no replacing of that, you know, specialization. But in terms of, you know, mechanical, electrical, you know, the micro, um, you know, mechanical uh, kind of uh, combined with ele electrical engineer, that kind of combination will become more and more common. And as a generalist, it will become more and more common. 
Remy, I see by the clock of the wall, we're just about out of time, but I've got time for one more question. Now, uh, with MyHTT, you work for a, a, a well-known provider, service provider and solutions provider of all these things that we've talked about. But generically, if you're an engineering-driven firm that needs to go beyond just a simple CAD CAM package and think about this kind of integration, uh, what defines a good provider, a good vendor? How do you start the shopping process? Well, uh, certainly you have to look at, you know, the, the gotchas are always in the integration. We talked about, you know, the silos and, and the, you know, the first thing you, you do need when you start looking at, at software with CAD, CAE, CAM type of software and also control and, you know, software in the loop type of, of um, uh, capabilities, you have to look at, at a vendor that, that covers the, the, the integration uh, of all these things and not, you know, just a, uh, a one niche vendor that will sell you. Yeah, maybe, a, you know, a 5% better tool, but that does only one thing really, really well. Well, today, engineers and AI will, can compensate for that 5% bit if you can integrate and be a lot faster to market. So, so looking for a, uh, a partner, I would say, you know, look at people that can integrate end-to-end, -end, really integrate end-to-end. -end. And yeah, there might be a few bits and pieces missing. And this is where my HTT partner can, you know, come in and, and help fill those gaps to customize components that are needed along the way. But in the end, you know, start with a solid foundation that has integrated pieces software already in the house and then augment it with you know partners like us that can bring ai as a service can bring additional customization on top and and make simulation and cad and cam a unified process and not just a you know a siloed uh, process rami ducat my htt thanks for joining me today on the program thank you so much jim it was a, a great pleasure to have a, a great discussion today in the future of engineers uh, hopefully uh, future of engineering hopefully will be uh, um you know uh, well served today <laughs> and thank you for joining us and see you next time on designing the future Thank you.